it's a little bit desolate. So I guess if you're going to be looking at anything, you're going to be looking at the sky. Yeah, for now. Oh, did you see that big flash? Did you see that? No, no. No, there was. There was a huge flash over there. I'm at the UFO watchtower. Yes, this is a real place. And this is actually my second time here. I stopped here once on a lark to check out a kitschy roadside attraction on a long road trip. But this time, I'm here for work with producer slash husband Scott Carney. Okay, there was another flash in that over there. Face that direction because you might see an alien. And with a UFO expert. Uh, I think the first time I came to the UFO watchtower, I didn't really understand it because a lot of it is just a platform that's about 15 feet off the ground, which is not a significantly better distance from which to see UFOs than the ground. Sarah Scholes would know. She spent a lot of time thinking about UFOs as the author of a book called They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. This is not her first or second UFO watchtower rodeo. And I think now that I've been here five times, I understand better that the point is not necessarily to see UFOs, but that it is like some kind of pilgrimage point and some kind of gathering point. She's not kidding. People come here from all over the world. They sign the guest book, walk through the garden, climb up to the viewing deck, and gaze out at the expanse of horizon, hoping to see something unusual. For some, it's about the fun of potentially spotting intergalactic visitors. But others seek something more meaningful, something to fill a hole in their lives. And they're hopeful that extraterrestrials might do just that. There's something almost spiritual about it. I read an essay by a guy named Chris Rutkowski, who runs the Canadian UFO survey. Um, And he wrote an essay about how most of modern ufology, not all of it, but most of it, functions more like a church with a lot of different sects than, than like a thing that's trying to be science. This idea that people are perhaps seeking a profound experience, something that demonstrates there's more out there than just us, Sarah says that changes the way she thought about people's fascination with UFOs. And once I started to think about it that way, to think like, this is a thing that people believe in that they think makes their lives better or more interesting in the way that religion does, which is a really simple way of thinking about religion. But if you think about UFO belief like belief, like you would believing in Jesus, it started to make more sense. As Sarah said, the UFO watchtower is almost like a place of pilgrimage, where people can get a few steps closer to what they're seeking. They're searching for what the future might bring, of how they fit into the universe. And aliens give them hope. I'm Laura Krantz, and this is Wild Thing, Space Invaders, a series about the search for extraterrestrial life, where we're looking, what we're looking for, and why we hope we're not alone. Thousands of visitors come to the UFO Watchtower every year. It sits right alongside Colorado State Highway 17 as it slices through the San Luis Valley, just west of the Great Sand Dunes National Park. You can't miss it, with billboards screaming, Ride the Cosmic Highway to the UFO Watchtower. Understandably, many visitors can't resist that kind of advertising and just stop in to see what it's all about. But others seek this place out deliberately, with true purpose in mind. 
Judy Messaline certainly didn't think about UFOs or aliens when she first came to the San Luis Valley in the 1990s. This, despite the fact that there have been more UFO sightings here than anywhere else in the U.S. But she arrived to the valley with other plans in mind. Wanted to raise cattle and paint horses and had to find a place where I could afford the property to do that. I found an ad in the paper for this area, not knowing anything about this area. So I came down and signed the papers and bought the land. She bought 320 acres and 75 head of cattle. And after four and a half years, she had to sell the herd. Didn't know that the animals couldn't survive on this land. I ran out of money. And then it's a matter of what do you do with the land? Well, from the time I'd moved down here, all I heard were UFO stories from the locals. And I just giggle and say, we need a UFO watchtower. So she built one. A concrete dome that rises out of the scrubland, looking sort of like the one Luke Skywalker lived in on Tatooine, with the addition of some very nice skylights. It houses the guest book and the gift shop where you can read letters from visitors, like this one from a little kid. I am so sorry for taking one extra alien from the kids' section. I know what I did was wrong, so I am shipping it back to you. And then, P.S., I am shipping the other alien back because I know it was wrong and I want to try and make it up to you. P.P.S., my brother also feels sorry, so his alien is also coming back to you. (laughs) Alien abductors, the tables have turned. Judy framed the letter and put it up on the wall next to all the other alien-related tchotchkes. She's even got an alien baby. I had a guy come in, I think he was from Iowa, and he says... I have something for you in my barn. And it kind of looks like an alien. It's not. It's a mummified lamb that was born prematurely. And he said he'd had it sitting in the barn forever. So I'll be danged if I didn't get a package in the mail. And there it was. It's pretty creepy and not for sale. But for the roughly 10,000 visitors that come by every summer, there's plenty of other great stuff that is. T-shirts, keychains, stickers, socks, action figures. For the educationally minded, there are handmade posters about the history of the San Luis Valley and the evidence for UFOs. Newspaper clippings and illustrations and photos. And of course, a tinfoil hat. Just in case. Outside in front of the dome, Judy shows me the garden. It's lacking in greenery, really more of a rock garden, and littered with totems, items of personal meaning that people have left here. There's a basket of sunglasses, the door of an old wood-burning stove. The Holy Bible, which is fine. (laughs) Did you see that car trophy, the big one out there? Somebody had to have won that, and they left it here. And the pens, they started that little pen garden. That started with two pens. (laughs) Look at it now. I don't think there's another spot to put a pen in it. She points to a garden bed of sorts, cordoned off with rocks, where people have stabbed hundreds of ballpoint pens into the ground. And we get driver's licenses and credit cards. And I finally took them and cut them up because that's dangerous. You know, even driver's licenses. That, With all the stuff that's going on in this day and age, I don't like that personal stuff. From an outside perspective, it just looks like junk. And I'm not sure why aliens would want any of this stuff if it were meant as an offering. But thinking about it from the perspective of faith 
this isn't all that unusual. Pilgrims slip bits of paper, notes to God, in the cracks of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. At Catholic shrines, the faithful leave flowers, candles, plastic figurines, as a thank you to the saints or an appeal for help. Likewise, Hindus honor their gods by heaping offerings of food and flowers at temples. And in talking more with Judy, it becomes clear that the Watchtower visitors leave their own trinkets behind for a similar purpose. There's a motorcycle helmet over here. And I was coming over to the shop one day and met this car as they were going out. And they said, we wanted you to know that we left a motorcycle helmet in the garden. Our mother totally believed in aliens. And she rode motorcycle, and she was just killed in an accident last week. So we thought the best place for her helmet would be here in the garden. She tells me several stories like these, and muses that there's something about the energy of this place that draws people here. Since opening in 2000, she says 25 psychics have visited the Watchtower. They've all said the same thing, that there's two large vortexes out here. And they described a vortex as a portal to a parallel universe or an opening. They spin and they're full of energy. But as you walk through the garden, you should pay attention to your body because you can feel the energy from the vortexes. I walk around and stand in the garden for a bit, but couldn't tell if the vortexes affected me. I'm not actually sure I know what that would feel like. In any case, it's clear that other people have had powerful experiences. The other thing that the psychic said was that there are two large beings here who protect the entrances to the vortexes, but they are also here to help. So if you need any type of help in your life, you're to go in the garden and ask for it. There has been phenomenal results from people just asking for help. So I don't care if it's aliens, angels, or God himself. If it helps people, it's good. Maybe people's prayers are attracting aliens. Maybe it's the energy of the vortexes. Or maybe there aren't actually any extraterrestrial visitors at all. It doesn't really matter because there's widespread belief that this place is special, that it holds some kind of power. And that sentiment has been around for centuries. The Tewa Pueblo Indians believe their ancestors emerged from the hot springs in this region. And nearby Mount Blanca is one of the Navajo tribe's four sacred mountains. Something here tugs at people and has for a long time. Those who visit the UFO watchtower may just be the latest version of that. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Above us, offering a little shade on this bright sunny day, rises the bare-bones structure that gives the UFO watchtower its name. It's less of a tower than a raised platform made of graded metal. At 10 feet high, it doesn't seem like it gives you much more of a vantage point than just being on the ground, especially since you're already at an altitude of 7,600 feet in a very remote and expansive valley. 
but Judy swears it's worth climbing the rickety stairs to go up there. This gets you off the lay of the land, and you'll see when you get up there the difference. It's really a big difference. All right, let's go upstairs. Basically, you've got a 360-degree view in any direction. There's like a handful of houses, some Quonset huts, a few trailers here and there. We've got mountains to the east, mountains to the west, smattering of clouds in the sky, and, uh, and it's windy. Really windy. Relentlessly windy. I scan the horizon looking for anything out of the ordinary, but don't see anything. I'm camping here tonight, though, so maybe I'll get lucky later. I tromp back down the stairs and duck into the dome again to finish talking to Judy inside, out of the gale force winds. How did she go from being someone who didn't think about UFOs to being the woman who built the UFO watchtower? I had a friend in Golden, and she called me after I'd been here a couple weeks, and she said, well, have you seen any? And I said, any what? And she said, well, UFOs. She hadn't. But she kept hearing stories from people who had, locals that she knew and liked and trusted. Over time, those accounts started to make her think differently, especially because there had been so many of them. They've had documented sightings in this valley since the 1560s. Since I opened this in 2000, we've had 223 sightings from just here. I've gotten to see 28 of them. After you've seen a couple, then that really gets you going. Is there any one or two experiences that really stand out from you? Yeah, um, there was the closest one, and it was between here in the mountains, and I called a scar shape, narrow, really long, and it went zip like that. It was 11 o'clock at night. We had over a dozen people here. Everybody saw it. There was another time where... We had a group of people here, and there was a couple sitting out on the bench. And the woman jumps up, just screaming, Do you see him? Do you see him? Teeny, tiny dots. There was one here and one here, and they were moving real fast towards the north. Well, all of a sudden, the one in the front stopped, and it waited for the one behind to catch up. And when that one caught up, the two of them took off, and there was a streak of light across the sky when they took off. Lights in the sky. That's what these experiences often get called, usually with a sneer by the expert ufologists. And the people who report seeing them, well, they're dismissed as amateurs, people who aren't educated enough to recognize strange weather phenomena or unusual aircraft. But still, to them, these things are unidentified. So it's fair that they'd wonder what they'd seen. Even author Sarah Scholes had a sighting that she can't completely explain right here at the UFO Watchtower. I was looking out at the mountains and up against the backdrop of the mountains. I saw what I think people would call a classic cigar-shaped craft, just kind of this tube that was moving slowly over the land. And um, my assumption was that it was an airplane where the way it was aligned, I couldn't see its wings, but at the same time, I did find it perplexing. I don't think it's aliens, uh, but it is, it is weird to see something in the sky that you don't understand. Given her own experience, Sarah doesn't doubt that people have seen strange things, things that they can't find a reasonable explanation for. I do think that 
doing research on UFOs has made me more open to the idea that there's a whole lot of the universe that we don't understand. There are some genuine mysteries that people have seen and, and witnessed and whether or not those are UFOs as we traditionally think of them. I think that thinking about those things and other people's experiences has made me be like, you know what, I can't ever say with 100% certainty. As for Judy, she's considered the possibility that these are man-made. Um, I think some of them might be military, but I've questioned the Air Force guys who come in, you know, can our planes go really fast and just stop? Or can they be going one way and just go the other way without making a circle to go the other way? And they said, don't even think about the plane doing it. The G-force on our bodies, our bodies would blow up. She's still certain that some of them are military, since the military's presence in this area is well known, especially their screamingly loud and excessively low flyovers. But she doesn't think that's the answer to all of those sightings. Well, I think I really feel that there is someone from another world coming here. I really feel that. And um, after doing this for 19 years, yeah, but I don't think that they're here to harm. And I, uh, I understand that there is an intergalactic agreement that they can observe but not interfere. I'm ready for them to interfere, you know, get rid of all this crap that's going on and, and make this a, a loving, peaceful planet again. What's the intergalactic agreement? This is, I haven't heard about that. Well, before. the extraterrestrials meet with the governments. And I had a guy that used to work at Nellis Air Force Base that came in, and he told me that they would land there at Nellis, and the extraterrestrials would meet with our high, high government officials. And um, I kind of believe that. I don't know why he would make it up, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I don't know, I want them to land here. I googled Nellis Air Force Base, an intergalactic agreement. And yes, after making my way to the fringes of the internet, there was information on this. Something called the Grayata Treaty, which allowed extraterrestrials to nab some cows and a few humans for testing purposes, in exchange for giving us access to some of their alien technology. Personally, this feels like a highly unequal exchange. We get fiber optics and stealth technology. They get hamburgers and some lab animals. But who knows? Maybe everybody walked away happy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of people claim to have seen something in the sky, day or night. A fast-moving object. Lights. Strange colors. Things they don't understand and can't explain. Many of them think it could be aliens. And almost everyone I've spoken to thinks there's life, at least microbial life, out there somewhere. 
yeah, I think there's other life in the universe for sure. Yeah, I believe there's life out there maybe, but not aliens that are abducting people and stuff, (laughs) you know. I I can't be egotistical enough to think we're the only thing in the universe. Making the jump to intelligent life is more difficult. Even Sarah Scholes, who was initially almost certain about the idea, has lost some optimism. I think the universe is a very large place and that there are a lot of planets in it. And it, um, when I started writing Making Contact... Making Contact was her first book about pioneering radio astronomer Jill Tarter. When I started writing Making Contact, I thought it was kind of absurd for anyone to think there wouldn't be some kind of life out there, um, either smart or not. I just thought statistically, chances were there would be some kind of life, and if there was some kind of life, chances are that like a small percentage of that had evolved some kind of intelligence. And actually, as I was writing the book, I came to think that maybe intelligent life was a harder thing to make, that there were more variables that went into it than I fully realized. Variables like a planet being the right distance from its star, like having all the right elements necessary to life. Everything has to happen in the right place, at the right time. There might have been events that assured our evolution, but never occurred on other planets. In other words, you have to have faith that all these hurdles would be cleared, that intelligent life arose on those other planets and somehow managed not to wipe itself out. It's a lot. And yet, the universe is an enormous place, so it's hard to think that we're entirely alone. To quote the movie Contact, it would be an awful waste of space. I mean, I think it's weird for us to think that we're the only intelligent beings out there. So, we keep looking. But here's an interesting question. If we find even one more example of life in the universe, that means that statistically, life is abundant, that it's everywhere, which means life is common and we would just be one of many. So why would aliens be visiting us? Is it adventure tourism for them? A chance to look at a less developed planet the same way we go to the zoo? Or are we really that interesting? That's special. We certainly seem to think we're special. We think we're interesting and we would want to visit us, so it would make sense to us if if other aliens wanted to visit us. So I think people maybe incorporate that into their beliefs in a way that they don't totally understand. We like the idea of aliens, but we like the idea of aliens coming to visit us because we're special. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're not going to be special because you're alone, then you have, if you're common, you have to be special because they wanted to come visit you. We have always set ourselves apart as smarter than the other creatures around us, as more evolved, more intelligent, more than just animals. There's elements of it in our philosophy and circling back around to where we started in our spirituality. And I mean, that's a religion thing is you using religion to make yourself feel special. Like there's this whole universe, but God cares about you, or the aliens cared about you. Like, it's kind of the same idea. So what does it mean if life is abundant in the universe? Are we still significant? Or do we become kind of common, ordinary? I took that question to Bill Brown. He's the William Marcellus McFeeters Professor of Old Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary. On the one hand, we are made in the image of God. On the other hand, we're also made in the image of the ground, The garden story, the creation of Adam being formed from the dust of the ground, as well as all the other animals being formed from the ground. The human species is simply one species among many other species as well. And if we're already one of many, looking beyond Earth simply expands the scope. 
Bill is a theologian, and he's also the son of a scientist. He built his own telescope in high school and joined the Amateur Astronomers Club in Tucson. He devoured science fiction and the Bible with equal fascination. For him, religious texts don't contradict what science is discovering. They strengthen it. Even the Bible in the different creation accounts, even the biblical ancient authors were wrestling over how special we were and are as a species and how special life is on this planet. So astrobiology simply expands that to the nth degree in terms of the possibility of discovering life uh, beyond, beyond Earth. Finding extraterrestrial life, whether microbial or otherwise, doesn't make humans any less special, he argues. I think we'll always remain a unique species, yet interconnected with the rest of life. And to discover a different kind of life, perhaps something other than DNA-based or perhaps even non-carbon-based, would be, for one thing, fun to discover and would be exciting and mind-blowing, but need not be threatening. But there are people who worry that discovering extraterrestrial life would undermine not only religion. They may feel some threat or at least some concern that uh, their notions of creation are being radically altered. But also our sense of place in the universe. What are we if we're just one of many? I think some of us take our sense of inner worth and dignity and specialness by... Uh, seeing ourselves as unique in contrast to everything else and that we're special because we're the only ones. It's sort of an interesting but really curious connection between a sense of specialness and a sense of aloneness or solitariness. And I just don't see that as working. We can find our specialness in relationship to others who are also special but in different ways. It's, it's dignity in difference, not by elimination. For what it's worth, I am not particularly religious. I'm probably more in the agnostic category. Yet I think it's very human to look out at the world and want to be here for a reason, to want to be part of something bigger, to feel special or chosen. For some, religion can help provide that feeling. For others, extraterrestrials might fit the bill. I think there are a lot of kind of secular people who use UFOs to fill the like spiritual void that not having religion does uh, leave in their lives. Back at the UFO watchtower, the sun sets quickly on this late September evening. The high desert air gets colder as we huddle closer to our campfire, and the wind gusts around us. Overhead, the sky is clear, not a cloud to be seen. And tiny, flickering pinpricks of starlight begin to appear in the growing black. When I am under a sky like this, I think I try really hard to imagine that all those tiny white lights are actual, actual stars, like our sun, that have actual solar systems, and like try to hold that knowledge in my tiny brain. And for the most part, I don't succeed, but I kind of try and try to like imagine the expanse of the universe. But it is very, very big, much too big for my tiny brain to comprehend. I. I kind of do what you're talking about where you just sort of think about okay like it this this vast expanse of all kinds of stars and planets and god knows what else is out there but part of me is just like i just like looking at it because it's pretty okay there was another flash in that over there 
So far, the only person who's seen the flashes is Scott. Did you see it? Did you see it? No. There just was one. There just was one. No, I'm not. Did you see that? That was lightning. Thank you. Flash. No aliens after all. At least not tonight. But when we are talking about searching for extraterrestrial life, I think we have to ask what would happen if we actually find it. What would it mean to find evidence of aliens? And what does it mean if we don't? Is this search for extraterrestrial life more about what's out there? Or is it more about us? That's coming up on the final episode of Wild Thing, Space Invaders. If you're enjoying Wild Thing, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to good stories. And definitely tell your friends, because all of this really helps get the word out about the show and makes another season possible. You can find at Wild Thing Pod on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and check out the website, wildthingpodcast.com. That's wildthingpodcast, all one word, for more information about the show. And, of course, for some cool stickers. This podcast is a production of Foxtopus, Inc. Our executive producer is Scott Carney. Editing is by Alicia Lipinski. And the score and sound mixing come from Louis Weeks. I'm your host and creator, Laura Krantz.